Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator from the Talk House, Nick Dawson. Hey everybody, I'm Nick Dawson. I'm the editor-in-chief for film of the Talk House. Um, tonight, I am sort of more importantly one of the legion of journalists who are uh, insanely excited about the Raid 2. Um, we're going to get the guys out here in just a second for Meet the Filmmaker, but let's start with the trailer for the film, which you will see right now. Okay, um, so here we have with us tonight uh, writer-director Gareth Evans, the film's uh, lead actor, uh, Iko Uwais, and Julia Stell, a.k.a. Hammer Girl. Uh, welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for being Thank here. You. I think, as I said before, I am a rather large fan of this film, so it's very exciting to be here doing this. I guess, I don't know, can, can you see like a, a show of hands? Who's seen the first film? Excellent. Okay. Because um, like, I have to say, like, before, I, I, I was at the screening at the Museum of the, of the Moving Image on Saturday, so I actually know the answer to this question. But I think for a lot of people, a Welshman in Indonesia making martial arts movies doesn't seem like the most obvious thing in the world. Can you give us a sort of a quick... Um, background on, on sort of how all this, this happened. Yeah, so um, basically I was like trying to make films out in Wales at the time, out in the UK, and I didn't, I didn't really do enough to get myself noticed in the industry. Um, and so basically I got hired to do a documentary first that was out in Indonesia, and that was all about like Silat, the martial art. And um, when I was doing that documentary, I was fortunate enough to meet um, Iko as one of the students of a master that we were following. And I'd always been a fan of like martial arts films. I always loved like Kung Fu and Muay Thai movies, but I'd never seen Silat before. And so suddenly I'm watching this martial art and I'm just thinking, it's so cinematic. It's, it lends itself so well to the idea of doing action films. 
why hasn't it been done before? Why hasn't it been at the forefront before? And so then um, after the documentary was over, I you know, decided let's make the move, let's move out to Indonesia. And then we moved there, set up the film company, and then you know, we ended up making Ranta with Eco, and then The Raid, and now thankfully The Raid too. Yeah. And can you talk about, uh, I think The Raid was, was the film that really launched you internationally. Um, after the success of that film, which I guess some people might say was a surprise success, just because oh, you kind stuff. of, <laughs> so to most people, you kind of came from nowhere and, and blew our socks off. And, and uh, was it intimidating after that film to, with, you know, everybody's now having high expectations for whatever you were going to do next. Uh, did you already have an idea of what you wanted to do? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely there was a certain amount of pressure because at least for this one, that element of surprise had gone, so like we couldn't kind of like shock anyone anymore with like what we had. And to be honest, I mean, the fact that the first one took off the way it did was a surprise to us as well. Um, we didn't know what we had until people started watching it and reacting to it. And so um, when it came to doing this one, then yeah, there was a certain amount of pressure. We felt a little bit of like you know, okay, well, we have to deliver on this. We just have to now. Um, but uh, our approach was always to kind of take the same, the same, same approach to making this as we did in the first one, which was to kind of close ourselves off and keep it in one creative space and then not let outside elements influence us. So not question where we were going to go, but actually just to make a sequel that expanded the universe. So I think the worst thing we could have done is have made the sequel that was just a rehash of the first film. If we'd like set it all in one building again or one confined space, then yeah, it would, it would be the same as like a, a sequel to a comedy where it's the same setups, but just a slightly different tweak gag. So The Hangover, basically. I wasn't saying that. Okay. <laughs> Iko, can you talk about your, when you first met Gareth? Uh, what were your impressions of him and like how, how has that changed since over the, the time that, that you've worked with him? Because presumably at the start, him saying, we're gonna make movies together, they're gonna be amazing. That may have seemed like an unusual proposition to you. It's, uh, it's not way different when when before I met him and then now I already like making the movie and uh, now it's uh, personally like me like same same nothing changed that uh, just me uh, now he's already married already have a child now like. The, the personality is not, not, not changed anymore. Well, I will say the first time I did meet him, the first time I told him about the project from Rantau, like he didn't believe me at all. Not until, not until the first day of the shoot. Yeah, until now I still, still, still believe him. Still no trust. No trust him. That's good to know that, that some things don't change. Well, we've kind of got this thing now. This is like our third film together. I've known Nico for like seven years now. And so it's kind of like, yeah, it's like, We've kind of become that sort of little brother, older brother relationship in that um, I bully him a lot and make fun of him a lot. And uh, yeah, and that's about it really, yeah. We, we get along well for now. Depends on how he answers the next question, really. Okay. Um, there are some people here who maybe don't know about Silat, which is, is the martial art which is featured in this movie. Can you just, I guess, Julie, you hadn't done martial arts before. And you had you had to sort of start from scratch mm -hmm. for yeah, this movie. That's right. um, can you guys just talk about? Just give us 
a, a quick idea of what Salat is and how it's different from, from other martial arts? Just, and, and also sort of what your training involved in, in getting up to speed on, on, on everything. Okay, I'll talk about the Salat first so you can talk about the training afterwards. So basically, like, this, um, like, you know, like I was talking about earlier, like I've watched like all the different martial arts and I you know, loved Muay Thai and Kung Fu and everything else, but all martial arts tend to have like the same kind of approach to like, there's only so many different ways you can punch, block, lock, and kick. Um, but it's the packaging that's different. It's the, the delivery of it is different. And like lately, I think like one of the things I've kind of feel about Silat is it's like um, it's kind of like a flowing river, a flowing river. But you forget that there's rocks underneath. And so there's this idea of whenever they like block, they use momentum to bring them in. It's like very like flowing, almost like a fluid ballet type of movement. But then it's always offset by this really hard impact with an elbow or a, or a strike. Um, and Silat's very, very adaptable to different environments. So if it's like a one-on-one -on -one in a closed space, or if it's a massive group of people in a large open space, every environment has a set number of different ways that you can escape and evade and then strike back. And so um, that kind of uh, adaptability and that fluidity lends itself so well to film because it means that we can explore lots of different situations using the same martial arts discipline. And there's hundreds of schools of Silat in Indonesia. Lots of different styles. Some of them are combinations of styles. Some of them are animal-based. So in Maranta, we did Silat Harimau, which is like the tiger style. And that's what we ended up. And this, this will segue nicely onto Julie now, because uh, the Silat Harimau style is all about hitting with the palm and then keeping your fingers in a claw formation so you can grab and pull or grab and rip. And um, we wanted to find a weapons-based version of Silat Harimau that we could use in the film. And so claw hammers seem to be a very good substitute for a hand. It works. And then Hammer Girl came along. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so like you said before, I had no uh, background of martial arts whatsoever. So I did uh, six months of training for this. Um, it was it was pretty harsh. Uh, I mean, it was physically very, very challenging for me because, I mean, I'm not a really sporty person as well, so I don't really do that much training. So when I when I started this um, this project, I mean, it was it, it was pretty hard at the beginning, but you know everybody was really supportive and um, um, they were being very patient with me and uh, they gave me so much positive energy. Gareth was being nice, and so yeah, it went well. You know, I I still can't believe when when I see myself on screen that that was me. I did it. You know, I still can't believe it how I did that. But you know, have you I kept up with? Um. After <laughs> after this shooting, not not no, I didn't. But we do have another project together, so we uh, we will be working on yeah stuff together again. Because when I told people I was doing this event, they m were saying be very careful. Uh, don't worry, I don't have my hammers like, with me right now, so yeah, yeah you'll they be said, fine. They said don't ride on the subway, and I was like, <laughs> I don't carry a a suitcase, a brief briefcase and, and cower at the end of the car, so I think I'm okay. <laughs> You're fine, don't worry. Yeah, I'm going to try and keep it spoiler-free, but I guess there's some in, yeah. the, in the trailer. Um, in fact, can we, um, I'm going to cut to a clip, can we see the, the scene of Julie?
Um, As you can see, it's a PG-13, this film. It is. It's, uh, <laughs> we held back this time. I wanted to talk about that, because uh, I think at Sundance, uh, you said, enjoy it now, because the MPA are going to rip the heart out of this film. No, no, or I something said, along those lines. I said the MPA haven't seen it yet. <laughs> okay, okay. But you were definitely concerned. Well, um, here's the thing. Like When I was making it, I, I didn't... <laughs> to a certain degree, I still don't think it's that violent. I mean, uh, I mean, it's not like, at all. Gary. <laughs> there's a difference between like showing something like really like quick bursts and something where you can have a, a reaction to it and then dwelling on it. And um, we move away like all the time. We we show something and then we move. When we show something, we move. And it's to create those little gut punch reactions and it's to make sure that like when the audience are watching it, if they all kind of collectively go like ooh ah and all that shit, then people will end up um, having this moment where they realize it's like a communal experience. And then when you have a communal experience like that, it becomes entertaining, it becomes fun. And it doesn't become like disgusting or repellent or like horrible and, and dark and twisted. And so like that's kind of like the approach for it. So then when we did the Sundance screening, like I was fairly confident before we went in. And then afterwards, every single critic I met said, you know, you're never gonna get an R. And I sort of said, like, you have to cut a lot to get an R. And so I was freaking out. I was like really freaking out, waiting for those notes to come in about what we had to cut. But like truthfully, like we 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 got away with quite a lot. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty happy with where we end up with. I think I saw the film like two days after this uh, in New York. Two days after it screened in Sundance, and it, I think there's maybe like little things that have come out. It's literally like frames and stuff. There's not right. much at all. It's yeah. like it's like little things like when those those hammers, when those hammers go in. It's like going in is fine. But they can't stay too in. They can't stay in for too long. So it's like you can go in and then straight away drag. That's fine. But if you go in and, and then drag, that's the problem. So it's the yeah, it's the problem. So we <laughs> cut the yeah's out and then we're all good then. Excellent, Julie. You were talking before about um, sort of the training for six months and and just based on on what I've read about the film and guys stuff that you've talked about previously. Even with some of the scenes that you cut, like you cut scenes that you spent like a week or or ten days shooting, and it seems like the the amount of time that was spent uh, planning, you know, and choreographing, just putting this movie together in in all the different ways that that you did, really took a lot of a, a huge investment of your your time. Can you talk about that and also about the way? I guess you were the action. Choreo one of the, you're one of the action choreographers, Gareth, and, and Eco, you're one of the fight choreographers. And obviously that process is, is sort of completely central to, to the film and, and what it does. Can you, that was a very rambling question, but just dive in in whatever, whatever way you want to. So, um, okay, so basically, yeah. Um, yeah, we cut a scene, we cut a, uh, we had a big, huge gunfight in one scene, which is about, we took about five, six days of shooting for it. Um, and that that killed me to cut it because there was one of those scenes where I really liked the execution of it, and it gave like a lot of color, a lot of flavor to it. But in the end, it was it was like it was a pacing issue, and also it didn't really it didn't really push the story forward that much. And um, so then, like once I'd cut it, the way it is is like this: when I'm in the middle of post production, it's like everything is super important at that time. And then gradually, as I go through it week by week. Like you know, Aram from XYZ, one of my one of the guys there, was a huge support to me. Who came on board for all of the post production side with me, would kind of give me notes. He'd be like, maybe we can trim this down, maybe we can cut this out. And every time he'd be like, oh, maybe we can cut this scene entirely. I'd be like, no way, no, that's not gonna happen. It's not happening at all. 
and then he'd, he'd say like look just just try it for a second just see how it plays like you know taking a real diplomatic approach and i was like all right all right well we'll see how it plays but i know it's not going to work and then like what would happen is we'd we'd cut it out and then we'd say like okay well let's not play it now let's not play it today let's do this cut now we take the scene out let's watch it tomorrow so then when i watch it the next day then suddenly i'm like okay i don't i don't miss it as much now and then gradually like the weeks go by and then you're like no i don't miss that at all anymore and it was the right reason to cut it right decision to make it and um but there would be there would be like for every time like that there would be like one or two moments where it'd be okay i still think we need that line of dialogue we shouldn't have cut that line of dialogue but that scene you're right let's go so it's it's a long process it's it's a weird thing to kind of shoot for five six days on an action scene and then not have it see the light of day so we're actually going to put it up online in about a week or so from now so just before the film comes out we're going to put it up on vimeo or something we can release it out then so we'll put a deleted scene up Iko, can you maybe talk about uh, the the climactic uh, fight scene in the kitchen? Because I think between sort of the planning of the scene and the choreography, and that took like three months. Is that like took about three months to do total? I mean, what was that like just to focus for, on something for for such a long time? Uh, basically, I, me and Chaijab, like the assassin. I already know. We are. We are already know uh, before we uh, uh, join with the the, the, the project, Babulia. And yeah, Chachap, uh, uh, he's a master from West Java, and me and Chachap already trust each other, and we get the chemistry. And uh, yeah, ada beberapa gerakan walaupun yang sulit tapi bisa diatasi sama Chachap dan Walaupun uh, apa? Uh, well, I'm translating this one, am I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, 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 okay, this it. Okay, so, <laughs> okay, so basically, I'll give a rough translation. I'll just add some stuff on top as well, because uh, my translation won't be accurate. But he's basically saying about like the fact that like. Um, him and Chechep, they both... Uh, okay, I'll give a background story about it because Chechep is like super well-respected in the CLAT community because uh, he's traveled a lot and he's done a lot of training of people in, in Paris, in London, in US. He's traveled a lot of different places to teach people CLAT and uh, performed a lot nationally uh, and internationally at um, like sort of demonstrations, exhibitions, and tournaments. Um, and he's an incredible guy. I met him on the documentary same time I met Iko. And one of the benefits of the guys working together is this thing of the two of them have such a respect for each other anyway. And Iko's skill set and Chechep's skill set, they match up really well. So when it came to designing the fight, it was this moment where we could have Silat versus Silat. This idea of having these two guys at the peak of their power face off against each other. And to be able to do that and to have it um, like start off like a chess game. And so when we designed it, it was it was an opportunity for us to get way more complex and way more intricate with the choreography design. It was a way for us to um, like build this fight scene, which is about six minutes, seven minutes long, and uh, to build this sort of like sense of the like deconstruction of that choreography. So they would start off very complex, very intricate, and then gradually they would get more and more aggressive, more and more desperate, more and more tired as well, where those moves would get more. Uh, raw and savage as they went along and because Chechep uses a knife from Indonesia as well called a krambik which is like a finger knife it straps around the finger and then the hook comes out here 
It's a really nasty, nasty piece of work, that knife. And we'd used it at the beginning of Maranto in the opening credit sequence, where Ego did like a training session with the knife. And people kept saying, like, why didn't you use that knife in the film? And I was like, it never fit the psychology of his character to use it, because he was a good-hearted person in Maranto. But this assassin, he's cold-blooded as hell. So when it comes to that knife, it's like, he's going to use it, but not only one, but two of them as well. So it was a, a good opportunity for us to kind of match up Iko, whose like, skill set right now is like, in, in terms of um, on a martial arts level in the film, he's really, he's getting up to the top now. I'm super impressed with his he's skills. He's pretty good. He's all right, yeah. He's all right. <laughs> I think that, that that scene is is incredible. And, and like, I think it captures something which I, I really love about the film, which is that it's, it's violent, but, but it's not like it, it's sort of reductive or dim diminishes the violence. Like, you really feel everything that happens in that scene. That scene is brutal. Uh, and, and it's not sort of that Tar Tarantino thing of, like, violence is awesome. You know, like, you, you really... The impact is, is pretty profound. Can, can you... I mean, I'm interested to know about sort of the way you feel about, about movie violence. And it's particularly interesting because, like, on, on Saturday at the... the the Momi event, there was like a seven-year-old kid there. Yeah, that freaked me out. Um, <laughs> I've got a five-year-old girl, Sophie, right now, and she's like, um, I'm super careful with what she watches. I'm super careful with what she sees. Um, it's kind of weird, though, but, but the thing is, it's like this. It's like um, I'm trying to remember when my, when, how old I was when my dad would show me films. I'm trying to follow that because although I'm a little bit twisted and weird, I came out okay-ish. So I'm um, trying to kind of copy that formula at the moment. Like the other day I showed her Star Wars for the first time. She'd never seen it before. And so when I showed her Star Wars, I mean, the only time she reacted was when um, the guy had his hand cut off in the bar in the cantina. And when she saw the blood, she just went, ew. And I was like, okay, but this is better than My Little Pony. So, um, so I'm trying to kind of wean her off that sort of like fairy princess stuff at the moment. And get her more into some, some tougher stuff. So I was the way I told her, I was like, I was like, oh, you should watch Star Wars. She said, What's it about? I went, it's about space and robots. And she went like, mm, there's a princess in it. And she was like, Oh, okay, I'll watch it. Thinking it was gonna be this nice palace thing and stuff, but no. So um, but yeah, anyway, about the violence, getting back to it. Yeah, um for me, like I, I totally enjoy the Tarantino violence, to be honest as well. Uh, because it's not made for children, it's made for adults. And and when it's when it's made for adults, that's the way it should stay. Like, to be honest, you know, um on from on a, on a personal, purely personal level, like I find the idea that um the the difference between an R and an N C seventeen is a bit of a weird thing for me. Because the fact that an N C seventeen has such a social stigma attached to a film that you can't market it properly, you can't release it properly, and you can't make something which is purely intended for adults seems odd. Like, you know, there shouldn't be that stigma with it. Um, because, again, I'm not comfortable with, like, a, a, like a seven-year-old being able to come in and see the film, you know? No disrespect. It's like, but it's just, like, I didn't make it for that age group. And it's the seriousness of the violence, is like we were talking about earlier. And for me, it's like this... Uh, when we show stuff in our film, whether it's a gunshot or a knife wound or a punch or anything, there's a reality to the impacts on there. There's like a real reality to the violence on display. And I find like PG-13 action where it's a guy like emptying a gun at a bunch of different people or like, you know, punching and kicking and slamming and all that violence. But just because there's no blood there, that is a PG-13, for me, that's more irresponsible because that's not teaching anyone yeah. about the harsh realities of violence. 
on, on that note, on the harsh realities of violence, let's see uh, another <laughs> clip if we can. Funny, when, seeing these clips, you, you I, I cut just, at just the right I, uh, moment. There. Yeah, the end of that scene is uh, yeah, is something to behold. Very much so. <laughs> and it's weird because actually, the the end of that scene was a kind of like a, it's kind of like a challenge in a way. It's like a way where there's a scene later on there with like a <clears throat> with a hot plate, um, which is used, but we focus on Nico's reaction, Nico's face, for the, almost for the entire moment that is there, um, and the the goal was to kind of take the duration of that shot a little longer and then question the audience, like, how far are you willing to follow your hero? How far, how far down this dark path he's going down will you keep going with him? So, yeah. Yeah, Eco's face in that shot is really, you're kind of like, really, really intense. That's, Emotional. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, can I, I want to ask you about, you know, just watching that, you see, again, the, the choreography. Uh, can you talk about the way that like the script and the choreography fit together. Like when you're writing, this is the script kind of a blueprint, and then you just let yourself and Eco sort of like work on on you know how 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 much do you sketch out? Uh, the script basically never has anything in detail. It's it would, that, the script for that would purely be uh, they chase him into a restaurant. He fights against a group of them. The fight escalates, gets more and more aggressive. Suddenly, out of nowhere, a guy slashes at him with a uh, meat cleaver, and then he loses his shit completely. And then blah 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 it goes on into the hot plate. The hot plate would be described, but like we would never write in the script like, oh, it's a punch and then a kick and then a throw and then uh, grabs a chair and all that stuff. That's never in the script. Um, I will kind of come up with uh, a sense of place, location props available and the f skill set of the fighters and then I'll take it to Iko and then also Yayan Ruhian who's another one of our action choreographers uh, to uh, just workshop it so then I'll go off and then I'll say okay guys I'll be back in an hour when I come back give me five or six different moves that we can use in the film and then they'll go off and they'll do that and then um, they'll present these movements to me and then we'll start to figure out Okay, how do we structure this out? How do we, we get a, we'll write them all down like on a whiteboard and we'll start to put down, this is the order of the events of the fight and then try to figure out the structure of it so we get these little peaks and troughs, these moments where we build to those big impact points and then come down again. And for that one, it was kind of a bit more playful at the start before it gets very dark and very like, you know, sadistically violent towards the end then. Yayan, who plays uh, Procoso, and he's also in the first one. He, he he's played he plays Mad Dog. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Because I think in the in the first movie, doesn't he have a line where he he's like puts aside his gun and he's like, I don't like, you know. Yeah, I don't. he says, um, "Was it pulling a trigger? Is like ordering takeout." I kind of feel like one of the things I really love about both movies is the, you know, it it kind of dispenses with a lot of gun violence and and. It's so much more interesting and, and, and cool as a result because, you know, endless gun battles are yeah. kind of been done and it's really difficult to do something new. I mean, you, the, 
set pieces in this movie are incredible, but but it, in a way, it's because you're broaching new territory that you have scope to to be playful and 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 do new stuff. Thank you. So yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I um, I feel like this. You know, I presume everybody here is is like fully aware of how great this movie is, but. Uh, Ray 2 is, I don't know, Just I feel like you took it to a whole new level. Uh, I love the first movie, but this is kind of... Oh, thanks so much. It was incredible. Um, let me just see. Um, I mean, can, can you talk a little bit about uh, influences that you have and, and, and the people that you, you like like riffing off of? Uh, yeah. I guess both, both Eco and, I mean, all of you, just in terms of yeah. like what inspired you and, and that sort of thing. For me, um, when it comes to like, action cinema... Like Peckinpah is like one of the biggest ones for me. Peckinpah and John Woo are the biggest for me. Um, just that idea of uh, the fact that when you watch like a John Woo film or you watch like a Sam Peckinpah film, whenever it comes to those action scenes, especially like the ending of the Wild Bunch, the end of the Wild Bunch is like the perfect example for me. Um, that moment when they're walking down to that that final like you know battleground, like you you get a sense of the size of it. You get to see it. You get to feel it. You get to know where things are first before all hell breaks loose. And when all hell breaks loose, it's still clear. There's still clarity there. He, he gives you a sense of where people are, where they're appearing from, where they're coming from before they become a threat so that you know, okay, there's a threat coming from there. And you get a complete geographical understanding of the action sequence. And the same with John Woo. Like, Peckinpah kind of, like, pioneered that. And then John Woo took it a step further again. And with, like, you know, bigger pyrotechnics and, you know, a more, like, you know, modern-day capabilities that is disposable. And then, so, for me, it's like this. Like, modern action films now have completely lost sight of that. And it's become this thing where it's, like, like they'll jump in on a tight close-up of a guy, super, super tight, and shake the camera around like crazy and then put sound effects of punches, kicks, and gunshots. But nothing's happening. You're not seeing anything on screen. So it's like a cheap shot. It's like a cheat. And so it's like I, I don't feel like we're doing anything like new or innovative. We're just going back a step. And we're just saying, like, okay, let's, let's take a look at why, why is that ending of the Wild Bunch still so good 40 years after it was made? Why does it still hold up today? Because like me and my dad watched that film endlessly. Like We've seen it so many times now. And it still has the same kick. It still has that same rush for it, with it. Um, and then the same with John Woo. Like Hard Boiled is still, for me, Hard Boiled is still one of the best modern action films ever made as well. So that's, those are my influences and I, I steal from them endlessly. Uh, I think we've got to take another clip if that's okay.
funny when I was in the green room before and they said they're on their way in the car. I, <laughs> I couldn't help but think of that scene. Um, I think we're going to... Is it time to open it up now or do we have a little bit more? Um, Guys, really just amazing. Um, uh, I've seen Raid uh, at least four times and uh, you inspired me and my sensei and other people I work out with and it's really, really cool. So I wanted to ask you, Gareth Evans, okay? Um, do you think you could make a movie like this in the United States or, you know, in the West? Because I know in Indonesia, you probably can bend the rules like you can't. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, yeah, I do think we could do it here. Um, if anything, okay, it's, it's, I think we could do, like, the stunt stuff probably better. Because uh, here's the thing. We're not doing... Well, it looks dangerous when we do this stuff. But, um, you know, we, we're, we're finding ways to shoot stuff in a safe way. Uh, so there are certain stunts I'd love to be able to do. Like the car stunts were like executed great because we had um, Bruce Law's stunt team from Hong Kong come in and execute those for us. He did an amazing job, like really great job. But like there'll be certain things that I want to do that um, maybe we can't figure out a way to do them safely. So we, we, we do a lot of cheat shots. Like we, there's a sequence which we didn't show there where uh, like a car crashed into a wall and we literally, in one top shot, one continuous shot, we see the car crash and the body fly through the windscreen and it hit the bonnet. And um, the way we did that was by combining three shots together. So like we're, we're not really, we, we make it look like we're endangering the hell out of everyone's lives, but the reality is is that we're doing safe ways of getting those shots. So like where the guy when in the raid one, when he gets thrown over the balcony and his back snaps in half, I didn't really do that, um, so, you know, he'd be dead. Um, well, the way we did that was um, we, we threw him over the balcony. We took the wall out and put crash mats everywhere. So he flips over and he lands on these crash mats. Uh, yeah, but that was an accident. But um, he did it eventually. So he hit the crash mats and stuff like that, right? And then later on, then we took the crash mats out. We put the wall in. We lift him up a little bit. We drop him down onto his back so his legs could come down. Then we lift him up again. We drop him down on his bum so his back can come down. And then we combine all three shots to make it look like one continuous thing. So then when you're watching it, it's like this horrible gonzo moment. But um, usually, like, you know, those types of stunts, yeah, we combine, we'll combine, like, dummies, real bodies. Sometimes we'll do CG for, like, the to stick an actor's head on top of something else. We need to really slam into something. So, like, we're finding creative ways in terms of in-camera or in the edit to make these stunts look way worse than they actually are in terms of the execution of them. But you still nearly died on this film. I almost got hit by a car, but like that—that—that's yeah, that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah, that one was that one was close. But again, thankfully we had the Hong Kong stunt team because that guy's reactions were like perfect. Where we had a car and it was like there was a piston underneath and it was supposed to flip the car over onto its back, and we had like four cameras and we'd set three of them up already, and then I stupidly was like, oh, we should get another angle. Um, I'll operate this camera, I'll go on the side of the road and I'll film it coming across and pan across. And uh, my DOP was like, you know, you should put the camera behind the wall. I was like, nah, 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 I won't be able to follow all the way otherwise. Let me go in front of the wall, I don't go behind. And he'd be like, yeah, but it's safer behind the wall. I was like, it's going to be fine, he's just going to flip over and then dun, dun, dun. And then literally we went for that take and then the cars come along and then when it flips, instead of it going all the way over, it went like up and then it started coming down onto the tire and that burst and sent it over right in our direction. So this car's coming barreling right towards us. But thankfully, the stunt driver, literally, as soon as he saw that he, where he was going, just spun the wheel. So he span around from us. 
but like the distance I was like with a camera here the distance between me and that car was from here to maybe about there and it just went zoom and we watched the footage back at the, the, the base camp and we watched it back, but it was all shot in like, we were all shooting slow-mo. So we all had it at like 120 frames per second. So you couldn't get a feel for it. And then about two weeks ago, I saw like the behind the scenes footage where they had the camera shooting from wide distance. I have no idea how he turned that wheel in time. It's crazy how fast he turned that wheel. So thank God for Norman Law. Good to have you here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, another question from the audience. Hi, how are you? I was wondering that how did you decide to put the Japanese Yakuza in this movie and how's the collaboration working with those Japanese uh, kind of known actors in Japan? Um, first off, I'm a massive like uh, Japanese film geek. So um, although, okay, so there's no Yakuza in Indonesia. <laughs> so, um, but then there's no snow in Indonesia. We put that in there as well. Um, <laughs> So like for me, it was like this, like I, I, I saw an opportunity and I thought like, well, I mean, this film is sort of, it's not really set within a real Jakarta, real Indonesia, you know? So I thought, well, why not have a Japanese Yakuza group? So we have a Japanese community living in Indonesia. I thought we might as well expand and exaggerate that a little bit. And then Kadokawa Pictures at our distributor in Japan for the first film. And so we talked to them about the idea of we want to get a Japanese cast. And so and they talked to us a few bit about who would you want to go for? And then I give them a few names. And thankfully, we had a positive response from like uh, Kenichi Endo and from uh, Ryuhi Matsuda and then Kazuki Kitamura. Kazuki Kitamura was actually in a film that we produced before called Killers that was made by the Mo Brothers. Um, and so when he was in town, we were talking to him and he was saying like, oh, you, I want to be in the raid too. And so I was like, okay, well, I don't have a really big, big role for you, but like, I'd love to have you in there. And so the three of them came along, and I think it's the first time all three have been in a film together. And at least the first time they've all th shared a scene together. And so, yeah, it was a great experience. I mean, we had them for about five days, six days maybe total. And we shot as much as we could with them and kind of placed the scenes in a way where they don't feel like a glorified cameo, that they actually feel that they are integral to the story. So they, they pop up throughout the film then. But they were incredible people to work with, super talented and very professional. Um, and what I loved about working with them as an editor is that whenever you do a scene with them, every little gesture will be at the same time in. So if I give them notes on a performance, they'll, they'll change like, the, the delivery or the tone, but the timing of when they move for things will stay the same. So like, you know, Kenichi will talk and then he'll be talking and then at, at a certain point he'll reach over and grab the bottle and then lift it up. And then you put it back down, and then I'll do another take or another shot, like maybe about an hour or two later. And that moment he grabs the bottle is exactly the same moment. So I can cut from shot to shot, take to take, across like five hours worth of filming, and I can use anything, because it's all good. It's all, all matched up then. But yeah, it was a really interesting process working with them. They were great guys. Um, love your work. Um, I had the same idea when I saw the Raid 1. I was like, wow, finally getting back to the basics. So I, I love all your work. Um, question, uh, it, this seems like a, it's like a dream proje project. Is there, a, is this your dream project or is there something else? Like it goes for three years. Is there a dream project that all you guys have? Uh, for me, this was, um, this was, I mean, like this was the story, the basic storyline for this actually came from a script I wrote before the Raid 1. Um, there was, I wrote like a general idea, it was like a standalone film. And then uh, I tried to get the budget for it for two years and then we couldn't get it made. And then when I was working on the Raid 1 then, 
I started to look at the old script and thinking, what can I do to fix that? And the biggest problem I had the last one was that it was an ordinary guy that went to prison that befriended the son of a mob boss and blah, blah, blah. And so I thought, well, how can I fix this? Make him an undercover cop. Give him stronger motivation. And so then I was like, well, if I give, make him an undercover cop, I can retrofit this to be the Raid 2. And then when the Raid 1 did what it did and we were able to kind of make sure that our investor was happy, then suddenly I was able to get the budget for this one. And uh, I got offered like to do some stuff out here, like and to do some stuff like in UK and US. But this was the one I wanted to do. This was like my dream project. Like at that time, it was my dream project. I was like, I got so close to getting it done because we already worked for two years on choreography design, finding locations, and doing all of the pre-pro we could do without spending too much. And so then, yeah, we found ourselves in a position where we're like, we can make it now. And so it became like that. And um, yeah, so that that was like a dream project for me. How you doing? This is for Eco. I uh, read and saw that you were a delivery boy prior to this. Is that so? And um, where did you get your acting ability from? Because a lot of martial artists try to do films, but they can't act. So did you have an acting coach, or this was some sort of uh, passion that you had previously? My acting coach is Gareth Evans, exactly. Then, yeah, until you can explain, yeah. I have like two interpreters, it's really expensive for when I pay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, sebelumnya, saya kerja di perusahaan telekomunikasi untuk sebagai driver dua tahun, dan memang sama sekali nggak punya pengalaman untuk untuk acting. Apalagi untuk di depan kamera itu sangat uh, aneh buat saya. Tapi karena uh, kepercayaan yang dikasih oleh Gareth sama saya, ya saya lebih uh, itu salah satu penghargaan buat saya dan itu yang istilahnya tidak bisa dibayar dengan uang. Dan saya kasih kepercayaan dari Gareth dan saya pasti apa uh, tetap dipertahankan lah. Uh, untuk acting semuanya sama sekali nggak nggak punya pengalaman. Cuma semua yang saya dapat di film dari merantau grade 1 grade 2 dan ya semua semua bimbingan dari Gareth semua. Did that answer your question? <laughs> uh, he's saying that um okay, I got get this right now. Uh Yeah, I know, I know. Love <laughs> it, I know. So he started off and he was working as a he was like a delivery guy for a phone company that to take messages back and forth and then uh, he said he had no real aspirations at that time to be an actor. If anything, he was more interested in being like an athlete, right? Like a silat athlete. And also he used to play football as well. And so, um, yeah, then all of a sudden we came along and started, I made all my like white boy promises to him, how I was gonna, let's make movies together. This <laughs> And uh, he didn't trust me at all. But then, um, yeah, now we've done like three films together. And in terms of his acting ability, it was this thing of, um, we in the first film we sent him to an acting coach just to give him like a general overview of acting skills and um on the first movie though the way it was the way of directing him it was totally different from how it is now because back then it was hard to get into like a psychology mode of of coaching with him back then it was more sort of like show and tell he'd remember things more in a photographic memory same way that he'd remember choreography and so it would be kind of like you know showing him my terrible version of that performance and then he would take that and take the elements from it and make it his own 
Um, and then when it came to the raid, it started. My Indonesian started to get better. His English started to get better. We were able to communicate more clearly with each other and be able to kind of describe more about the psychology. But it wasn't really until this one that I started to notice a big, big, big change in his acting ability. And that's come around because of uh, his world experience now. Like, you know, he's, he's married recently. Uh, he's, he had a child on the way when we were shooting the film. And so I was able to kind of <laughs> exploit all of those uh, new things that he was going through for the benefit of this performance, for the benefit of this film, where I could literally, you know, there's a scene in the film where he's phoning his wife for the first time for over three years since he saw her, and he hasn't had any communication with her, and he hears his son's voice through the phone. And um, to be able to get him to tap into that sort of emotional element, um, it was a lot easier because I could literally talk to him about the fact that he hasn't seen his child yet. He has no idea about his child yet. And what would it be like if he didn't get to see that child for another two or three years yet? And not even hear anything, not even be able to see its first steps. And to kind of get him to channel into that was much, much, much easier in this one than it would have been two films ago. So for me, it's like it, I'm kind of not just to boost his ego because he's right there right now but like for me I feel like proud to see how much he's grown not just as a fighter and as a performer in terms of the martial arts but also as an actor when it comes to the drama moments as well so I feel he's definitely grown in this movie well, I think that's all we have time for but thank you so much to, to Gareth to Julie to Eco. thank you um, so much it's been really great much. to hear you talk uh, the, the cr you. cast and crew of The Raid 2 Cheers.